year where our culture takes advantage and satisfies its need for greed. You think about all the money that is spent during the holiday season, and it's easy to see why businesses light up like a Christmas tree during the Christmas season. Yet, unfortunately, in all of it, something has been lost. About 10 years ago, there were 200 people standing outside of a business at 4 in the morning waiting to come inside when the store opened at 5 a.m. This was in Valley Stream, New York. True story, the mob of people was standing outside waiting for the doors to open, but at 4.55 a.m., they could not be held back any longer. They pushed the doors down. They stampeded into the store, trampling over a 34-year-old employee, killing him, and nobody stopped. Everyone continued to shop. Police made an announcement over the speaker saying, you're going to have to clear the store. We have a gentleman who has been killed, and they kept on shopping. When the police tried to herd people out the door, they resisted. They said, we've been here all morning waiting to get in. We're not leaving. Talk about killing the Christmas spirit, right? Somewhere along the way, we have lost the real story. But then you have a segment of society that um, is sort of the PC crowd, right? They want to remove Christ from Christmas. They want to take him out of the equation altogether. They want to move, remove the religiosity of this, of this holiday. Rather than Christmas break, it's holiday break. Rather than saying Merry Christmas, you say Happy Holidays. Rather than sending a, a, an envelope with a Christmas stamp on it, you send one with a, with a holiday stamp. It's the folks that want to remove Jesus from the holiday altogether. And then you have us. And quite frankly, we as the church don't know where we stand half the time. You know, at times... We want to stand on the hill of truth, and we want to say, but Jesus wasn't born on December 25th. And we have all sorts of rationale for that. But by the way, there's good scholarship out there on both sides of that. I mean, I don't know if you've read all the scholarship pertaining to that, but there is some scholarship that says, now wait a minute, don't, don't land vehemently on that side because there is a case to be made for him being born somewhere in December. But either way, it's like we're fighting two different battles. We, we fight the battle on the hill of truth, Jesus wasn't born on December 25th, which means that if we even say Merry Christmas in the church, then we're somehow confirming that he was born on December 25th, and we're saying Happy Birthday, Jesus, which is not really the case, right? But then, as Christians, we've kind of changed our tune in the last few years because the PC crowd got in the way. And they've stood up and tried to take Christ out of Christmas, and we didn't like that. And so we stood up a little more, and we started saying, well, nobody's going to tell me not to say Merry Christmas. And so it's like we're fighting two different battles against two different enemies. We're fighting on the hill of truth. It wasn't really Jesus' birthday. And then we're fighting the PC crowd, trying to take Christ out of Christmas. And it's hard to fight two battles against two different enemies at the same time. Can we not agree that Christmas and the celebration thereof is somewhat an elephant in the Lord's church? I mean, it really kind of is, isn't it? And you know me, whether it's bravery or stupidity, I won't avoid it. But we don't know what to do with Christmas. We celebrate it in our home, but we avoid it at all costs in the church. We don't believe it's the actual day of Jesus' birth, and therefore we must ignore it altogether, lest someone get the impression that we are somehow celebrating Jesus' birthday, right? 
How many of you grew up in a church where Christmas was a Jesus-free day? You could talk about Jesus any other time of year, but not the Sunday that was closest to Christmas. You ignored it altogether. Because we can't have anyone thinking we actually believe that Jesus was born on December the 25th, and therefore we're celebrating his birth, right? The first church didn't do that, so therefore we can't do that either. And we can't give any sort of semblance of doing that. But don't you think there's a logical middle in there somewhere? And don't you think that in all of our efforts, we have dismissed the real story? I think we have. You see, I don't think we need to be so preoccupied with being anti-denominational that we forget to be Christian. And unfortunately, I think that's what we've done at times. Listen to what Paul writes in Romans chapter 14. Starting in verse 4, he says, Who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person regards one day above another, Another regards every day alike. Each person must be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it for the Lord, and he who eats does so for the Lord, for he gives thanks to God, and he who eats not for the Lord he does not eat, and gives thanks to God. Verse 10, but you, why do you judge your brother? Or you again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. Some Christians take a hard stand or a hard position in opposition of celebrating holidays such as Christmas. Some say that we shouldn't celebrate Christmas because it has pagan roots. Absolutely false, by the way. Go do the research on that. But some take that position, right? They do so with other holidays as well, but we're often very inconsistent. Do we celebrate birthdays? Because those have pagan roots. Absolutely they do. Do we celebrate Valentine's Day with our spouse, another holiday that has pagan roots? Just because we celebrate a holiday doesn't mean that we're doing so in order to resurrect the paganism of it. You see, things can evolve and they can change and customs can change and evolve. And if I dress my kids up like a superhero and take them door to door to get candy on Halloween, that doesn't mean I'm pagan right? But sometimes we take a strong stance in opposition, and yet do we realize that the days of the week are, are pagan, right? I mean, Thursday, for instance, literally is Thor's day, a reference to the Greek god Thor. And if my child is circumcised as an infant, does that automatically make him Jewish? You see, there, there are things that we have to consider here when it comes to consistency, and we're not always consistent in our opposition. I don't celebrate December 25th as the actual day of Jesus' birth. However, I don't see any good reason to vehemently argue about it either. And I think Paul's words in Romans chapter 14 speak to the issue. If I want to celebrate Christmas by putting up Christmas trees and putting presents under that tree, I can do that. If I want to celebrate Halloween by dressing my kids up and taking them door to door to get candy, I can do that. If I want to celebrate Easter by taking my kids to hunt Easter eggs, I can do that. The Bible does not prohibit me from doing so. What the Bible does prohibit me from doing so is telling you you have to do the same thing I do. And likewise, if you choose not to celebrate Christmas, if you choose not to celebrate Halloween, if you choose not to celebrate Easter because you think that they have their roots in paganism, you have that right. 
What you don't have the right to do is to enforce that on someone else. You don't have the right to bind that on others. You see, this is, as Paul said, a meat issue. It's a matter of scruples. It's not a doctrinal issue. And therefore, I think the most important thing, as Paul says, was to keep the unity of the bond of peace. Now, I should say that there is a distinction to be made between celebrating certain holidays in our home and perhaps celebrating them within the church. You know, the fact that we do not find the first church celebrating certain holidays should speak volumes to us and should tell us something. However, hanging a wreath on the church door or singing Silent Night doesn't mean that we are celebrating a religious holiday necessarily, right? I mean, again, there is a logical middle here to be considered. However, we have seen certain holidays infiltrate themselves in the church, whether it's Advent or Palm Sunday or whatever it is, the fact that we don't see the church celebrating those in the first century, I think, tells us something. But here's, here's something else that I want to say. I don't agree with talking about Jesus every Sunday of the year except the one that's closest to Christmas. I don't agree with that. I don't agree with avoiding the subject of the resurrection on Easter Sunday. I don't agree with stirring up unnecessary strife. I don't agree with having heated debates about whether Jesus was actually born on December 25th. And I don't agree with being so anti-denominational that we forget to be Christian. My view of holidays in relation to the church is that I think we as Christians should redeem them. I think if the world is going to pause, even for a moment, to think about and consider the birth of Jesus, I want to use that to my advantage. I want to redeem this holiday and help people to understand it's not just about shiny ornaments. It's not just about giving gifts. There's a whole story to go on around this holiday that we need to know because along with the resurrection, the birth of Jesus is the most important event in the history of our world. It divides our calendar. I want people to understand the real story. Just like with Easter, I want to shift the focus away and the discussion away from Cadbury eggs and bunnies. I want people to understand what it truly means that Jesus came, that he lived, that he preached, that he died, that he was buried, that he rose again three days later. It is never wrong to talk about Jesus' birth, ever. Whether it's Christmas or whenever, it's never wrong to talk about. I'll tell you what is wrong, to purposely avoid it. That's wrong. To purposely avoid any part of Jesus' story is wrong. So I'm going to redeem it. I'm going to make the most of this opportunity at Christmas or Easter, whatever time of the year it is, every time of the year, in hopes to help people understand the true story of Jesus' coming. I think all too often we take our cue from the world around us. And I think it's, it's not really served us well. We've got to stop worrying about what the religious world and what the secular world is doing and letting that dictate what we do or don't do. We take our cue from the Bible. That's the standard, not what everybody else is doing. And we can't forget that. Back many years ago, I think it was 1903, Orville and Wilbur Wright built an airplane, more like a contraption that flew, and they got it off the ground for 12 seconds. 12 seconds. And they were so excited, they went and told the local telegraph. And they told the local telegraph, we got the plane off the ground for 12 seconds. We'll be home for Christmas to tell you all about it. 
And so Karen, their sister, went to the local newspaper and told the local newspaper, my brothers Orville and Wilbur Wright, they got a plane off the ground and flew for 12 seconds. They're going to be home for Christmas if you want to talk to them about it. And the paper assured her that they would want to talk and they would run a headline in the paper. And so the next day the headline came out. The Wright brothers home for Christmas. Talk about missing a headline, right? And yet we do it all the time. Folks, the headline is not, Santa Claus is coming to town. The headline is not, tis the season to be jolly. The, the headline is not, Jesus is the reason for the season. No, the headline is this, in big, bold print. Emmanuel, God with us. We can't afford to miss the headline. The fact that Jesus came and that he left the comforts of heaven to live among us. God became flesh, left the comforts of heaven, came to dwell among us, to live, to teach, to preach, to be crucified, to be buried, to rise again. That's the story. That's the headline. Jesus is not just the reason for the season. Jesus is the reason for everything. Colossians 1, 16 and 17 reads, For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Jesus didn't come to this earth just to be celebrated one day of the year. He is not the Christmas story. He is the story. It's the story of Jesus. He's our story. The reason why we have hope, the reason why we can look forward to heaven, it is the greatest story ever told. It means everything because along with the resurrection, these are the two greatest events that have ever happened or will ever happen in our world. It is part of the incarnation. The fact that Jesus came into this world through the humblest of beginnings and dwelt among us shows us that God is not some faceless, distant creator. It shows us that God didn't create all of this world and then sit back and say, good luck, I hope you make it. He came down to earth. He lived among us. John, in his gospel, even tells us, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. God became flesh and, and dwelt among us. Let that marinate in your mind for just a second. God came down. He lived among us. Is there any greater gift than this? You think about what, what Paul wrote. He said, thanks be to God for this indescribable gift. I realize you don't see that scripture on Christmas cards very often, but even though it's not within the context of the birth of Jesus, Jesus was an indescribable gift, is an indescribable gift. There's never been a more valuable, more costly gift than this one. I heard recently that someone has said that if you were to put an actual value on the cost of the gifts named in the classic Christmas song, The Twelve Days of Christmas, here's what you'd get. Some items would be affordable. The partridge in a pear tree would be about $34.99. Six turtle doves would run you somewhere around 50 bucks. Six geese laying will cost you around $50, but the price takes off when you add 11 pipers piping. That's about $1,000 right there. Then there are the 12 drummers drumming, which at the current union scale for musicians would run you another $1,000. But 
the price really soars when you get 12 lords of leaping. We're talking $3,000 for them. That is, of course, if you can find 12 lords of leaping. I was reading this article and I was thinking of, you know, it, it, it's somewhat humorous. I was thinking about the indescribable gift that you can put a money value on a lot of things, even the classic Christmas song, but you can't put a money value on Christ. That, that is an indescribable gift. Christmas is all about gift giving, right? At least that's what I thought as a kid. I mean, I looked forward to Christmas because that was a day that I got a bunch of gifts. You know, in a sense, it is about gift giving. It's about the greatest gift ever given. The indescribable gift. The one that was so costly that is invaluable, and that is the gift of Jesus Christ. And while this gift is indescribable, it does tell us something about the giver. God visited this earth, and his visit to this earth took place in an animal shelter with no attendance, nowhere to lay his head, except in a feed trough. The event that divided history and even our calendars into two parts, may have had more animal witnesses than human witnesses. He was born into a world of terror and strife. The king, Herod, knew all about the significance of his birth, and so therefore he ordered all male infants, two, two years and younger, to be slaughtered. I've yet to see that depicted on a Christmas card, have you? You see, the Christmas cards that we receive all depict Christmas time as being peaceful and tranquil and calm. But I read the Bible and the events surrounding Jesus' birth, and I see anything but, don't you? You know, I get Christmas cards with a, with a snowy meadow and animals frolicking, and, you know, there's Santa riding across the sky with his reindeer pulling his sleigh and him waving and saying, ho, ho, ho. And yet you go to the gospel accounts of Jesus' birth and you see a very different story. I've yet to see a Christmas card depict the state-sponsored act of terror of Herod slaughtering, Herod slaughtering those babies. It was anything but, but peaceful and calm. And yet in the midst of all of it, we find Mary, the mother of Jesus, praising God. I mean, the birth of, of any child is cause for celebration, and yet... How much more so when that child is Jesus? Jesus coming to this earth meant that the unapproachable God would now be approachable. Remember that in the Old Testament, any encounter with God was met with fear. Over and over again, the message was stay back, stand clear. Jewish children heard the stories about being struck dead if you touched the holy mountain. Touch the Ark of the Covenant, struck dead. Enter into the Holy of Holies, you may not come out alive. Over and over again, the message was, stand back. Don't come close. You'll be consumed. You'll be struck dead. And yet, what could be less terrifying than a swaddled infant? That's the story that the unapproachable God became approachable. That the God that everyone had feared was now an infant laid in a feed trough. One that people could relate to. One that would dwell among the people. You know, it's kind of like if you've ever had a fish. You ever had a saltwater aquarium? Anybody had a saltwater aquarium? From what I understand, they're really difficult to take care of. I think you have to have a degree in chemistry 
to balance the pH levels and all that kind of stuff. I've never had one, but I hear they're difficult to take care of. And, and you would think anyone who had a saltwater aquarium, that the fish would be very appreciative of all the time and effort you put into keeping their environment clean, right? And yet every time you go and hover over that aquarium, what do the fish do? Uh, they dart in different directions trying to hide. They're scared to death of the owner. Even though he's there to feed them or clean out the tank, only, only wanting what's best for their well-being, the fish are scared to death. Because it's incomprehensible how something so big and so different from them could actually be there to help them. They're convinced that their owner is there for cruelty, not compassion. The only way that you would ever convince the fish that you're on their side is to do what? Become a fish. Now take that analogy and look at Jesus. Look at God becoming one of us. That's the only way that he could convince us that he loves us, that he cares about us, that he is not some cruel, tyrannical dictator, that we don't have to fear, that in actuality, he is a loving God that wants what's best for us. Again, what can be less terrifying than a swaddled infant, right? Paul wrote these words in Philippians 2, beginning in verse 5. He said, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. There's a lot of things that we could dissect out of that passage, but please, if you've got your Bibles open to that passage, make some notes here, because Paul describes Jesus becoming a man in this way, taking the form of a bondservant. Is that not a powerful thought? That God, in the form of man, emptied himself. Jesus became a bondservant. He relinquished all the rights and privileges associated with deity. And he washed feet. Understand what this means. While in the flesh, Jesus was no longer omnipresent. He could only be in one place at one time. While in the flesh, he was no longer omnipotent. He ran out of energy. He grew tired. He was thirsty. He was hungry. While in the flesh, he was no longer omniscient. He had to learn and grow in wisdom, as Luke 2 and 40 tells us. The King of kings and the Lord of lords became one of us. He became a friend to us. He served us, and he died for us. Consider the magnitude of all that. You know, I've never heard anyone object to a, a sermon about mothers on Mother's Day. Or a sermon about fathers on Father's Day. I've never heard of anyone object to a sermon uh, about freedom on the 4th of July or a sermon about the Lord's Supper on Memorial Day. I hope we don't object to talking about Jesus during this time of year. I think there's a logical end to, to all of this, and that is redeeming or repurposing this holiday and this time of year. I mean, if this is a time where our world's at least going to pause and consider the birth of Jesus, then let's use that to our advantage. I think about Acts chapter 8. Remember the Ethiopian eunuch that was sitting there reading a portion of the Bible? You know what he was reading? He was reading Isaiah 53, talking about the Messiah, right? And Philip comes up to him and he asks him, does he understand what he's reading? And the man says, how can I unless someone help me? And you know what Philip did? He took him where he was at. And he walked him through the scriptures. Is that not what we need to be doing all the time? Think about Acts chapter 17, when Paul was speaking on Mars Hill, Areopagus. 
to a people immersed in idol worship. He didn't get up there and rail on them and slam them. He got up there and he said, I see that you are a religious people. Let me tell you about this unknown God. Let me tell you more about this God you need to know about. Paul repurposed the occasion. And he redirected the people. He took them where they were at and walked them through the gospel. That's all I want to do. That's all any of us should want to do is use the Christmas story to our advantage and realize that it's bigger than just Christmas presents and trees and ornaments and lights, that it's something bigger than that, that there is a whole story going on here that greatly contributes to your salvation, to the salvation of the world. I want people to understand that Jesus is not just a cute baby in a manger, but rather, he's the resurrected Savior. Right? And so, I say all that to say this. When it comes to the story of Jesus, it's something that we need to be focused on all the time. Every day. Every day of the year. Every Sunday, of course. There are no Jesus-free days in the church. We need to be people who are magnifying and glorifying God, magnifying the name of Jesus, and being willing to tell that story anytime. And if our world's going to stop and consider that story this time of year, let's use that to our advantage. Let's be open about who Jesus really is and what he means for us, right? Thank you for listening this morning. If we can help you in some way, if you have a need that we can help you with, if you're ready to study the Bible with someone, if you're ready to put on Christ in baptism, I also realize that this is a time of year when many people are struggling because this is the first Christmas that they'll be spending without their loved one, their spouse, a child, whatever it may be. If you just need the prayers and support of this church family, we want to help you with that as well. The wonderful thing about, about the birth of Jesus and then subsequently, his death and resurrection, is it means this life is going somewhere. That this isn't all that there is. And I hope you have hope in that. But if we can help you in any way, come now as we stand and as we sing. There is a Redeemer, Jesus God's own Son.